Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning and welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. My name is Maddie. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I get to serve on a part of the team here as on our Bonnie Oaks campus. And this morning, I get the privilege of opening God's Word with you. So here's what I'd love to ask you to do. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull that out for me. Or if you're using an iPad or a phone, go ahead and open up your Bible app to Mark chapter 12. If you are using a device and you've not downloaded our Silverdale app, go ahead and do that at some point while you're here this morning. There is a Bible contained within that too. You can also find a place to take notes right there within that app. Now, it may surprise some of you to know this, that I do not hail from the southern states of America. Shocking revelation, I know. But when I came to the States in 2007, I quickly adopted a love for some American traditions, football being one of them. Can I get an amen? I love football. Now, I've always been a a sports guy. I've always been a team guy. I played soccer all of my life growing up and I love team sports, but there's something about football that is a little bit different. There's something about football that sets it aside in my mind from other team sports. Now, while it's a team sport, while you win as a team and lose as a team and compete as a team and all of those things, I get all of that. Contained within the context of of a football team, there is this unique individuality, right? There's this individuality contained within football that you don't often find or rarely find in other team sports, right? Now I get this, right? That, that for a receiver has to have a quarterback that can throw in the ball where he needs it to be as far as he needs it to go and all the rest of it, right? The linemen have got to block long enough for the quarterback to do all the things that the quarterback needs to do. I get all of that. But within the context of a game, there's this individual competition, this individual battle, if you would, between a a receiver and a defensive back, right? Like often you'll hear them on a TV and you'll see them, they're drawing back and forth about who's faster, who's stronger, who can jump higher, who's taller, who's got better hands. And and one, this is why I'm an offensive player and you're a defensive player because I've got better hands than you and so on and so forth. There's this unique individual battle within the context of the game. And it's one of the things that I fell in love with about football. I would have loved to have played, to be a part of a, of a team, right? And everything that, that comes with being part of a team, all the positive things of being part of a team. But to also have the, your individual ability so uniquely tested within the context of a game. I love that almost every position has this unique set of skills and attributes that you need to be a viable option to play that position, right? It's one of the reasons why when I show you this picture right here, I don't have to take a lot of time to explain you which player is the running back and which player is the lineman, 
right? You just know by looking at that picture because you know that there's a, a specific set of gifts that each player needs to be able to play the position and contribute to the team in the unique way that they have been called to and in the unique way that their position requires of them. And what we're gonna see this morning in our text is something quite similar. We're gonna see that, we're gonna be introduced to this widow. And this widow makes a unique contribution that nobody else can make. She makes a unique contribution that by all accounts would seem pretty worthless and insignificant. But our friend Jesus just so happens to be sitting across from her in the temple and he watches all of this play out. And he teaches the disciples and in teaching the disciples, he teaches us some pretty important lessons. What it can look like to contribute to the kingdom of God in a unique way. So if you've got your Bibles open, Mark 12 verses 41 through 44, we'll begin reading together. It says this, and he, Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched people putting money into the offering box. So Jesus is in a temple, right? He's in church and he's sitting across from the treasury where you'd, you'd, the people would go and they'd pay their temple tax and this specific place, they'd give some other unique offerings that they would want. And it goes on to say that many rich people put in large sums. So after this long day of and back and forth with the religious elite of his time, Jesus finds himself in the midst of the temple and it's busy, right? I mean, they're in the midst of the Passover celebration, which means that, that the population of Jerusalem would have gone from about 40 to 50,000 people to 250,000 people. It'd be like hitting up Hamilton Place Mall at Christmas on steroids. Like it is wild. There are people everywhere. And in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, in the midst of all the activity, Jesus finds a moment to sit down and be still across in the treasury. Now here's what you need to know about the treasury. It was a, it was a box and connected to this box were 13 brass horns or shofars that kind of look and be shaped like that. So as Jesus is sitting across from the treasury, he's not only watching people give their offering, he's listening to it as well. And it would have made quite a racket. It would have been quite a show. As Jesus tells us, people were given large sums. They would have walked up to the treasury and as they turned in their large sums, it may have sounded a whole lot like that. And as they turned in their money, as they gave their gifts, heads would have turned. And people would have wanted to figure out who is that? Who gave that large gift? And maybe the text doesn't say this, I don't know, but maybe the rich people, they walked in, they kind of brushed themselves off a little bit. You know, they've got their big money bag and they know that they're gonna cause quite a racket and everyone's gonna see it and everybody's gonna hear it and everybody's gonna look at them and they're feeling quite proud of themselves. And Jesus is sitting and he's watching. And then in walks this poor widow I don't know that anyone pays her a lick of attention. She quietly, humbly makes her way through the crowd, probably having to duck and dive out of the way of the rich people who don't even know that she's there. She makes her way to the offering. And you hear, she drops in two coins, two small copper coins which make a penny. Nobody looks at her. Nobody smiles at her. Nobody pays her any attention but Jesus. 
And he looks around and he looks at his disciples. And I can kind of, in my mind, see it playing out that as they're in the middle of this crowd, he kind of looks at them and he kind of gives them a little head nod as if to say, hey, come a little bit closer. So they draw into Jesus and he looks at him and he says this, truly I say to you, this poor widow, no one's paid her any attention. Now all of a sudden Jesus is saying, hey, this lady right here, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything, all that she had to live on. And from the lesson that Jesus teaches the disciples, there's some really practical things that this morning we can pull out together that will shape the way we give. They should shape the way we serve and ultimately they should shape the way we contribute to the mission that God has for us. That there would not be a single person in the whole world who doesn't know that Jesus loved them and died for them. So here's the first thing that we learn is this, that we don't give in comparison. We don't give in comparison. That's the first principle that we learn, that what we give, how we give, the way we contribute has got nothing to do with what anybody else is doing. When we're given to the mission and cause of God, it's got nothing to do with what the person sitting next to us may or may not be doing. Right? The disciples, like many of the other Jews, would have been in the temple. They were looking at the rich people. They were listening to their large offerings, right? And they, they'd gone on a lot of attention, like, hey, look at this guy. Who's this rich guy? Look how much he's given. Can you imagine what we can do with that? Imagine all that can be accomplished. Imagine how many poor people we can feed with this big gift. And they're all drawing their attention to the rich guy. And they would have noticed, maybe they would have noticed this poor widow walk in. Maybe they wouldn't have noticed it until Jesus pointed her out. Maybe they saw her offering. Maybe they heard it. But the disciples, like the Jews, and let's be honest, like us, if we were there, probably would have thought, can't do much with that. A penny? Two coins? Well, that's not going to go very far, is it? That's a pretty worthless gift. It's pretty insignificant. But in that moment, Jesus teaches us and them that we don't compare what one person gives to what somebody else does. And I don't think this is a slight on the rich people at all. I don't think Jesus is, is condemning the rich people in any way. I think he's just simply acknowledging the situation, right? That they're, they've been given a lot. And because they've been given a lot, they can give a lot. I don't think it's a slight on the rich people. I think he's just drawing attention to the reality of the situation. But comparison can be a really dangerous place when we begin to compare what we're giving with what somebody else is giving. What you contribute, what I can contribute is unique to you and God. We all have our own unique contribution to make. And when we compare our gift to that of others, we can real quickly find ourselves in a place of pride, right? Like we can really quickly find ourselves believing and thinking that I'm more important than you are because I give more than you. I'm more important to the kingdom of God than she is because I, I serve more than you do. I volunteer more time than you do. And you only do one service, but I do two services. And we can quickly find ourselves in a place of pride. The other place we can find ourselves is just being content with what we're doing because we think what we give, we look at what somebody else's gives and we think, well, I give more than them, so I don't need to give anymore. I do more than them, so I don't need to do anymore. 
Even though God may specifically be asking you to give more, to do more, to volunteer more, to offer something unique to you, you think, I'm doing more than they are. And we can find ourselves being all too content. But on the flip side of that coin, we can find ourselves feeling like what we have to bring to the table doesn't have any significance. Maybe you found yourself in this place before where you're looking at somebody else and the gifts that God has given them and what they contribute to the church and you think, well, I'm not as important as he is because I'm not as smart as he is. I don't have as much value as she does because I can't, I can't give as much as she does. I can't give as much time. I can't give as much money. What have I got to bring to the table? And just as, as quickly as we can find ourselves in a place of pride, we can quickly find ourselves feeling unimportant, undervalued, and unnecessary in the kingdom of God. First Corinthians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. And in chapter 12, he says this, it's verses 12. And then we'll read 18 and 20. He says, For just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. And then verse 18 through 20 go on to say this, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what Paul is saying is that the church is just like our physical bodies. It's made up of many different parts and each part has a different role to play, but all of the parts are necessary and needed and value to contribute to the health of the church, to the health of our body. So here's what that means. You here this morning, you have a unique contribution to make to the mission and vision of God. You're not a bystander in people coming to faith in Jesus. You have a role to play, a specific role that is for you. I cannot do your role. I cannot do your job. You cannot do the job of the person sitting next to you. You've got a specific vision, a specific calling, a specific purpose that God has given you. So listen, just for a second this morning, I wanna slow down long enough to speak to the person in the room who maybe feels like what they have to bring isn't important. Maybe you don't feel as important as the people sitting next to you. Maybe you don't feel as valued as the people sitting next to you. And I need you to hear me say this. When I say that what you have to give, whether it be your time, your talents, your treasures, whatever it may be, is vital and important to the kingdom of God. Anyone who has ever felt less than, anyone who has ever felt undervalued or unimportant, Anyone who's ever felt like what you have to bring to the table doesn't matter and it won't make a difference, I hope and pray that the story of this widow encourages your soul because anything and everything that you put into the hands of God has great significance. And you are more valued and treasured in the kingdom of God than you can even think or imagine. This widow gave the smallest of gifts, but its value was unmatched. Here's the second thing that we see is that when we give, we have to give in faith. 
We have to give him faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that are unseen. In essence, that faith is believing in something that we can't or maybe won't get to see. So if we give in faith, if we give believing in something that we may not see or may not get to see, what do we have faith in? Well, the first thing we have faith in is this, that God will use what we give. That what we give to God, He will use even though we may not see it. We may not see exactly how God uses the financial gifts that we give in faith. We may not see exactly how God uses the time that we give in volunteering and serving. We may not see exactly how God uses the gifts and talents that he's given us for his purpose, but we have faith and believe that God will use those things. This widow in verse 44, it says this, that all she had, she gave everything that she had to live on. How do you do that? Why do you do that? Because you have faith that God can and will God, and God will use it. Now we have hindsight, right? We have 2,000 plus years. We have the gospel of Mark. We know that this story, this widow story has been taught in churches all across the globe for thousands of years. We see some of the fruit of her faith. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that these woman's pennies, her coins, have been multiplied into millions and millions of dollars over thousands of years because people have been liberated to give freely by her example, whether you have a lot or a little. I believe that as, as, as her example is taught at churches all across the world, that people give more of their time. And that because people are giving more of their time and more of their talents to the kingdom of God, others are coming to faith in Jesus. She had no idea how significant her two coins were and God has done more than she could ever have dreamed of with two small, seemingly insignificant coins. Listen, this, this principle, it's one of the reasons why last weekend we had our global missions conference. It's one of the reasons that is so important to us here at church. So important because we, we get an opportunity for the weeks leading up to it and specifically last weekend to give you evidence of where you've put your faith, right? We asked you, we gave you these, these faith commitment cards last week or you could have scanned the QR code and we said, hey, will you join us in giving faithfully to missions? And many of you have done that. Some of you may even be doing that this morning. But last weekend, we get to bring our missionaries before you and we get to show you the fruit of your faithfulness, the fruit of your gifts. And I recognize and understand that in the hustle and bustle of last weekend, maybe you missed that. So this morning, I want you to hear that again. I want you to check out this video and hear some testimonies from our missionaries. Because you gave. Because you gave. Because you gave. Because of what you gave, we are able to continue training tribal pastors in people groups like the Achawar, the Wampis, the Shipibo, among others. But even in the midst of a pandemic, we were able to provide food for 74 families in a nearby tribal community. Training has provided leaders in Cuba with a fresh vision for living on mission with Jesus. These leaders have such a fiery love for the Lord. What God has done in the classroom has overflowed in their lives with excitement and boldness and outreach in their cities. Last year alone, our team has sown more than 13,000 seeds. 
We had over 800 spiritual conversations, and the Lord blessed us with 14 new believers and six baptisms. As leaders for the IMB, we are grateful to have these resources to steward for your missionaries in Africa. My wife and I have been able to spend over seven years here creating tons of different uh, media resources with our communications team to empower our missionary staff that works in over 16 countries in this region. And during that time, we've seen over 4,500 people put their trust in Christ. Our rescue street children in Honduras were able to receive Christmas blessings in the form of clothes and gifts. We, alongside our team here in Queens, have been able to share the gospel over 300 times in just the last three months. With your support, we're able to live here on the reservation and, and disciple people. Recently, we've had a, a young couple that have come to know the Lord, and we recently got to baptize them, and so that's something we're really excited about. We've been able to train dozens of pastors and church leaders in the Bahamas, Cuba, and Barbados in 2020 alone. Many of these leaders are now training their own people to reach their communities with the gospel of Christ. Our family has served in Cambodia, Thailand, Taiwan, Mexico. And this last year, we went to India to help build three houses and to help share the gospel with over 500 children through camps. Thank you. Thank you, Silverdale. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for joining us on mission. Do you get it? Don't miss it. God has used your faithfulness to give of your dollar, their faithfulness to give of their time to go, and thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus. Thousands of people, and those are just the people we know about. Those people have families and co-workers and businesses. Those people live in villages that they have influence in. God has used your faithfulness and will continue to use the faithfulness that you have as you give of your time, your talents, and your treasures to do more than you could ever imagine. Don't miss it. Here's the second thing that we have faith in, that God will provide for us what we need. That God will provide for us what we need as we give sacrificially, as we have faith in God, that he will provide what we need. Now, now don't get this twisted. I am not saying that God will give you an abundance of what you want. I'm saying that what I believe based on scripture is that God will meet your every need. Look how Jesus would say this in Matthew 6. He'd say, look at the beds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was arguably one of the greatest kings that ever lived, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Or you have little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things. And the end of verse 32 says this, and your heavenly father, he knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, look at the birds, look at, look at creation. God meets their every need. Aren't you of much more value than they? Surely God will meet your needs too. 
so we can seek first the kingdom of heaven. So we can give sacrificially of our time, of our talents, of our treasures to the kingdom of God, knowing that God will meet every need that we have. As the other boys, I have come to, to love and admire and to be challenged and convicted by the story of Abraham and particularly his relationship with his son Isaac. Now, many of you know Abraham's story, right? God makes Abraham and his wife Sarah a promise. And he tells them that you're going to have a son, you're going to have a great nation, and from your great nation, the Messiah is going to be born. But at the time, they're old and they don't have any kids. And this promise that God makes them is literally laughable. Like Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughs in the face of this promise. Like, yeah, right, that's never going to happen. And then God in his providence, he gives them a son and they name him Isaac. And then we get to Genesis 22 and God actually asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Look at this, it's in Genesis 22, verses one and two, it says this. And after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. He said, go, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. So let's just for a minute set aside the fact that Isaac is Abraham's son. And let's just take into account that that Isaac is the vessel, the vehicle that Abraham believes is that God is gonna use to allow him to step into the promise that God has given him. Now, why would Abraham sacrifice the only thing that makes sense to step into the promise that God has given him? Because he believed and knew that God would provide everything that he needed. If you keep reading down in that story, you get to chapter seven and chapter eight and they're on the way up the mountain and... Isaac looks at his dad and he's following his dad up this mountain. He says, hey, dad, I see that we've got the wood and everything that we need for, for the sacrifice, but where is the sacrifice? And in that moment, Abraham looks back at his son Isaac and he says, son, God will provide everything that we need. Now, I don't know if in that moment he was believing that he wouldn't have to sacrifice Isaac and that God would provide in the way that God did? Or if he was just believing that God was gonna provide another way to step into the promise that he's given him. Either way, he had faith that God would meet his every need. The rest of the story goes that they get to the top of the mountain, Abraham gets ready to sacrifice Isaac and God says, stop. And God does in fact provide a sacrifice. Because God always provides everything that you need. Here's the last principle that we see, and it's this. That when we give to God, we give it all. That when God prompts us to give, that we have to do so with a heart that is ready and prepared to give everything. There can be no holding back when we're prompted to give by God. When we understand who God is, it's the only adequate response is to give Him everything. Listen, let me tell you something about me. If I only gave financially when I wanted to, I would never give. Right? I'm selfish. I like my stuff. I like my things. If I only gave of my time when it was convenient for me, I would never serve because I like to do what I like to do, right? I like to do my things. I like to be comfortable. But the way I give, the way I serve, the way we give, the way we serve has got nothing to do with me. We give because of who God is and what God has done, not because of what we have and how we feel about it or how attached we are to it. 
And when I have a right understanding of who God is, I can give him everything that I have. And that's exactly what this widow did. She knew who God was. She had faith in who God was, and she was willing to surrender everything to him. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.